welcome you to our Chapter 49 podcast. It is for December the 9th, 2021. Uh, It is cold. Winter has come. We haven't had snow yet here in the central part of Indiana, but we have certainly had our share of cold weather. At least it seems cold because it's been warm for quite a long time. But one man who's always warm at heart, Duncan Giles, our chapter president. (laughs) Or I should say young at heart. Which would be the best? Uh, Probably young at heart. I kid that my, you know, sometimes my mentality is 12 years old. So yeah, that'd probably be closer. (laughs) Well, we welcome you back. Welcome everyone watching and listening. We appreciate you joining us. Uh, we have uh, today, uh, this uh, on the 9th, that we are recording this podcast. We have one more early next week, and then we'll go on a holiday hiatus and be back in, in the new year. But uh, uh, we still have lo- a lot of issues to discuss. And I Always was, seems to. There's never a shortage, is there? Yeah, there isn't, and I'm not sure we'll ever have a shortage. So let's start with the big one. And I, uh, I've told you know I had talked beforehand on this before we uh, recorded the podcast. You know I studied political science in college. I've I've uh, covered legislative bodies all the way down from a school board to a city council up to the state legislature. I've been to uh, some of the legislative conferences NTEU puts on. So I've walked the halls of Congress, talked to their staff, occasionally talked to a member of Congress or a senator. But we have just had something happen that has completely boggled my mind. You and I have been talking about this for weeks, that the debt limit is one of the really big issues out there that we were very concerned about. A default would have catastrophic implications, not just for the federal government, agencies, and employees, but for the entire economy. And we saw a lot of uh, chest thumping, you know, a few weeks ago, where certain members of Congress and the Senate said, we're never voting, sorry, I'll hit the microphone, they didn't (laughs) want to scare people, that there would be uh, no way that they would ever vote for a uh, a debt limit increase, just not going to do it. we're never doing it. We're never allowing this to pass. Well, guess what? I, I think uh, I've talked about this before. It's the bankers, the commercial interests, <laughs> the people who uh, run the economy have told these members of Congress and senators that if they allow uh, a default on the debt limit, that they would never be forgiven. It would be catastrophic for the economy, and, and there's really not a good way to fix that after the fact once it's done. Exactly. So we now strangely have a solution (laughs) and the solution it makes you wonder if it's worse than the problem not really Uh, but it is so convoluted and so difficult to understand i'm going to give you duncan giles our chapter president you you and i have both read the material that's come out of uh, ntu national and our legislative department you've also reviewed you know, I've reviewed the, the news reports that have come out of this, how Congress has decided to uh, deal with the debt limit. What's your take on how this is being done? Well, I believe it's Purdue University that every year puts on the uh, Rube Goldberg, where, you know, the most convoluted way they can think of to do a task type thing. And this should certainly be an entry into it, because from what my understanding is, is you have you know one side that says we need to raise the debt ceiling. You have another part that says we don't want to vote for a debt ceiling uh, raise ever. And again, to remind people, this is not for new 
uh, spending. This is for spending that we've already done, that's already been committed uh, in this administration and previous administrations. So it's something that's not anything new. But what the Senate has devised and what the House is going to pass or has passed will be something that says, okay, we'll do a one-time bill that will allow the debt ceiling to be raised without going through the 60 votes needed in the Senate. So they think they can get 10 uh, senators from the opposing party to join the uh, party that's in control of the Senate now to get that passed. And then once that's passed, then it'll be the one party voting to raise the debt ceiling. So it's, it's all political theater, but the end result is we are very hopeful that before the deadline of December 15th, um, because it's not an exact deadline because it always depends on exactly what our, uh, you know, just like your household, what our income is versus what our expenditures are. Uh, the Secretary of Treasury Yellen has said December 15th. So we're hoping that by December 15th, the House will pass that, the Senate will pass that one-time bill to allow the debt ceiling to be raised, and then the debt ceiling should be raised enough so that it'll take it through the 2022 midterm elections. So they won't have to kick that particular can down the road for uh, another two years or another, excuse me, another year or so. Yeah. So let's just, just to go over this again, what's happening is the house passes the debt limit increase. The Senate then has what they call a cloture vote, which is, you know, Congressism, if you will, or Senateism, which means that, you know, the cloture vote means, okay, we're going to give you 60 or more votes to cut off debate so you can have an actual vote so that the people who say they're opposed to the debt limit increase can vote for that and then actually vote against the vote on the debt limit increase itself and it will still somehow pass and that will mollify everybody who's concerned about the debt limit. And the other thing is, uh, this compromise only takes us, we think, through the next election cycle. And then we're right back at it again. Yeah, and it's like you and I have discussed, we're the only country that has this particular mechanism in place that was back from World War One for the spending for that. So it's very antiquated and it's become a political football, an unnecessary political football, in my view, uh, for the last several years by both parties. Yeah, and we're yeah, I th we've told the story about how people blame Republicans today, but uh, Barack Obama, when he was a new member of the Senate, and there was a Republican president, I think the Republicans had control of at least one House of Congress, uh, voted against a debt limit increase, and later lived to regret it when he became president, and had to admit that was a bad idea at the time, but he did it, and it was still on his record. So it's it's a political football that has been used by both parties, and want to recognize that. It, uh, it depends on who's in charge and who's responsible as to to how it's played. So I guess if there is good news, Duncan, uh, the good news is the debt limit will not be a problem, at least for another year or two. Yeah. So hopefully we will get through that. Then that'll take us through the end of the year. Then the next thing will be the, uh, you know, actually getting our appropriations bills passed uh, so we can actually have real budgets instead of continuing resolutions that'll go through uh, early February. Yeah, we're going to talk more about later in the podcast, but let's move to something else. 
I think it's great to have you here as our chapter president because you are one of only two chapter leaders involved in the national agreement negotiations, excuse me, negotiations that went on for months. And uh, we, as of October 1st, that new contract went into effect. One issue before you and the management to settle had to do with the use of webcams because webcams obviously are being used much more with an evacuation order in place because people are generally not working in the office. There are some exceptions, but most people are just not in the office, or if they are, they're in, uh, in there for very short periods of time. They're working, they're just not working in their regular offices. So webcams become an issue. When does an employee use a webcam? When can an employee say, I don't want to use a webcam? When can a manager say you must use a webcam? There's a lot of confusion yep. on this. Duncan, can you help us? I think I can. Yeah. Um, yeah. As you mentioned, it was my honor to be a permanent member of the team along with Lori McCann out of Chicago. And, you know, we had a great many uh, great chapter presidents rotating in and out of the team. And this was an issue throughout because we realized that most employees are not fond of webcams. Um, myself would be one of those because I have such a great screen presence. Um, but, you know, it was one of those things where when it came down to the end, the uh, the fact finder who was helping us in the mediation at that time and you know was having the discussions, it's like, okay, you've got this expanded telework. You've got a lot of remote managers. It is natural to want to see you know their employees. So basically that told us, okay, they're going to, you know, he would come down on the side of, yes, you have to use webcams. So we basically came to the agreement that if it was something that would be done in person, like a group meeting or sharing uh, evaluative recordation or your evaluation, if a manager asks you to use a webcam because they want to see you when they're talking to you, they absolutely have that right. You can't sit there and put a piece of tape over it or something of that nature. Now, if it's going to be a town hall meeting where you're going to have 200 people, no, you don't need to have that because that's just it, to be honest with you, insane and a, a huge waste of bandwidth for the service. Um, but if it's something that would be in the normal course of action, you would do in person. If you were all there in person, then it would make sense to be able to do that. The um, NTU also wanted to negotiate and successfully did to have backgrounds available to employees that asked for them. So if they wanted to have something behind their heads basically to show their faces so they didn't have to show what was in their home or what their home situation looked like they have that availability as well or they can blur beyond them i asked to be able to blur my face and actually management was informed was in favor of that but apparently it, that was be just specific to me so we have a Duncan Giles provision in the national agreement? We, we should have. I, <laughs> I did, uh, you know, that was agreed to by management, but they said it would be specific only to me, and I wanted it for available for anybody else who wanted it. Um, you know, as I've often told managers, I relayed the story of uh, our former uh, treasurer and actual chief steward of the chapter from many, many years ago, a uh, certain John Brian Costick, who once said, you know, was in a meeting with the manager and said, okay, you don't really want me on a webcam when I'm working telework because you don't want to see what I'm wearing. 
or not wearing. That was his exact quote. So, you know, there is there is that possibility as well. I don't think anybody's still working in something that embarrassing, but you you just never know. I'm I'm waiting for people trying to put an emoji up in, in place of their face. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know how uh, you would manage that. I, I assume emojis were not discussed at the table. Emojis were not discussed at the table. I can I can I can absolutely say that with a great deal of confidence. And yeah, you know, I've slept since then, but no, emojis did not come up. But but in in all seriousness, I do think that there uh, is always that concern when people are working from home. One of the benefits of working from home, from what I've heard, is well, you know, I don't really even have to take a shower. I don't really have mm-hmm. to dress. I don't even have to comb my hair. You know, I don't have to look decent like I might want to look if I was in the office. Uh, but yet, and you know, I think there's at least a minimum amount of grooming you might want to do until you look decent <laughs> on your webcam. So do you think that's where some of, of this uh, is coming from? I think it's more that there are a lot of managers out there who um, who do want to do the right thing, who do want to keep in touch with their people um, and keep that connection as much as possible. Those are the leaders that I talk about that that want to have that connection. So they feel that if they're able to see somebody in person uh, via um, a webcam, so to speak, that they're able to connect a little bit better. One of the other things that we discussed is um, that, you know, you can't sit there and use a webcam or Skype as an attendance uh, tool. That should never be it. So it's like there should never be a case where a manager is just saying, yeah, I just wanted you to turn your webcam on so I can see that you're working. Uh, no, absolutely not. We're going to have managers that abuse that because it, it happens with a with a minority of managers, and the chapters will be addressing those. So, I guess the bottom line is, uh, you need to use your webcam when there is a business reason to use it, and if there isn't a business reason to use it, you shouldn't have to. Is that kind of a bottom line, or that's, my oversim- that's very well put? Okay. Absolutely. I hope that wasn't. In, or that's not really an oversimplification of it. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah, so, it, that's that's the basic what it comes down to exactly. And if you have a disagreement with your manager, of course, there's always Duncan Giles or his acting chapter president. If you happen for to the be state of, for the folks of state of Indiana or anybody watching outside the uh, Indiana borders. Absolutely contact your chapter if you believe that there's an issue with this. Well, let's move on to an issue that continues. We've, it's been our continuing issue for weeks and months, the vaccine mandate. And uh, we've talked about it before in our last update, uh, in our last podcast, that there was a schedule for discipline to come out for people who have not been vaccinated Um, There has now been a delay for two reasons. One, uh, for people to get through the holidays. And the second is to just give people an opportunity to educate themselves on why vaccinations are important and why uh, the president has issued this vaccination mandate for agencies that are what are called executive branch agencies, which the president has direct line of. Where in IRS, it's the president, the Treasury Department, IRS. So he has direct, he being the president, has a direct connection to us where we are. For instance, the Postal Service doesn't have that. 
uh, right. other agencies may not have that. They have an independent commission running them. But we are executive branch agency. We must uh, go by what the president says in executive order as long as it's lawful. Our uh, attorneys have said that this is appears to be lawful. It would be u- useless and baseless and just uh, beating your head against the wall to try to legally challenge this. So uh, we still have this in effect. Talk once again. I think there's, from what you and I have talked about recently, there's still some confusion out there in the field with people working at IRS about what this whole uh, situation means for the delay. Talk more about that. Yeah, this is something that is on hold. I want to emphasize this to everybody. It's on hold, but it is still in effect. So if you have not gotten uh, vaccinated or you're not fully vaccinated yet, I would absolutely urge you to do this. Um, You know, the message that has come from National NTU and from this chapter is the vaccination is the solid scientific proven best way to try and beat COVID down along with its different variants. So we want to have that done. If you have not entered your information into HR connect, I would absolutely ask you to do that yesterday because that's going to be a huge thing. You need to, even if you've not been vaccinated, If you think that you have a reasonable accommodation, either medical with documentation supplied by your medical professional, or if you have a religious accommodation uh, based on your uh, particular religions, church teachings, whatever it is, that forbid vaccinations, period, much less COVID vaccination, you need to get that in yesterday. These are things that need to be done because after the holidays, they will be moving forward. They will be taking action. This is not disappearing. And it boggles my mind, to be honest with you, to see some things happening like in the Indiana State Legislature, they are just gung-ho to try and outlaw any you know, mandates for vaccinations right now. They don't want it on private employers. It shouldn't be there. And I understand that. I'm not a pro-vax, uh, pro-mandate person. I'm very much pro-vaccine, though. And when you're seeing increased COVID hospitalizations and increased COVID deaths um, in Indiana and, you know, in several other states, it's extremely alarming that people do not want to take the proper actions that can not only help them, but also help their families, help their friends, help their fellow employees if they're working with other people. You know, this is something that absolutely needs to be done. And if you think the vaccination is not safe, um, you know, talk to your medical professional. Take a look at the Center for Disease Control Frequently Asked Questions. Uh, the, you know, if you're wondering how exactly it can impact you personally in your job, NTU.org has great FAQs on there that are updated regularly. So, you know, make sure that you're getting the right information the unbiased information, the scientific and factual information. And I think that uh, we all need to remember something very important. I've been seeing anecdotal evidence of this from medical professionals who are saying most or all of their hospitalized COVID patients are unvaccinated. I saw a statistic, somebody has rolled some numbers up uh, in the area 97% of those hospitalized for COVID are unvaccinated. 
So it's clear that this now, what COVID had been a pandemic we all had to worry about, now with the exception of a a tiny number of breakthrough cases, uh, essentially this pandemic relates to the unvaccinated, those choosing not to get a vaccination. And these are the people that are in the hospital. And I think, you know, I just want to say one personal note if I can. You know, we talked about this in a previous podcast. I had to spend some time in a hospital recently and uh, I needed to be in that hospital. I was uh, finally diagnosed with a pretty serious illness. I was able to be tr- treated for it, and I recovered and left. Had there not been room for me in that hospital, that that hospital had been filled up with COVID patients, and area hospitals had been, and no place to send me, and I would have had to wait, I'm not sure I'd be sitting here talking to you right now. So if we say that vaccination is a personal choice, you can make that argument. I would counter that and say that we all are impacted when people choose not to vaccinate. So um, the numbers we are seeing in Indiana, and as you said, people watch and listen throughout the country, uh, there's a swath of northeastern states, Indiana, north and east of us, that are now making up more than 50% of all the COVID cases in the nation. So we're seeing in our general geographic area and to the east and north of us a tremendous outbreak of of COVID, and it's scary. We have a lot of people in the hospital, a lot of people who are sick, and most of them are unvaccinated. So, Duncan, I, I think we all need to look at the fact that, that there are some local areas in this country that are seeing huge spikes in COVID cases. Yeah, and and... For IRS employees, you get time to get vaccinated. If you have bad side effects from that, you get time to do that. If you need to take family members to get vaccinated, you have time to do that. If you're going to get a booster, I'm going to be off tomorrow afternoon because I'm going to get my booster shot. So, you know, you you do have these time on the clock to get this taken care of. Because that's one of the things that uh, actually we negotiated this before the administration ever came up with it. If they decided they were going to need to do boosters, we wanted to make sure that employees got the time to do boosters and recovery time if needed. So the time is out there. The vaccinations do not cost you anything. Depending upon where you are in the United States, the vast majority of the U.S., they're readily available, the shots and or the boosters. And like I said, I just I can't urge strongly enough. And your example is just a wonderful one of the tangential impact of people who don't get vaccinated. What could happen to somebody who's fully vaccinated, doesn't have an illness that deals with COVID um, and could could absolutely impact them, you know, to your point where, like you said, with yours, you might not be here today because of that if it had not been treated yeah and i i uh i i found a middle ground in some for some people and i'm not going to say where i come down on vaccine mandates there's a whole lot of arguments people can make but i talked to the mayor of our city where i live and i write a local news blog our, our mayor told, i asked him about what's going on at the legislature and his basic view was look let let the businesses make their own decisions you know why should the state tell a business whether they should have a a vaccine mandate or not? The business itself can make that decision. Why should the state make it for them? 
And I think that's what the governor of the state is essentially saying. Uh, so, And I think the uh, legislator, legislators who had a public hearing recently and have another one coming up were surprised at the number of people, not just in the medical community, but in the commercial world, the chambers of commerce, the people involved in, in the economy of the state. Uh, we're telling the legislators, don't do this. Let us take care of it. We know what we need to do with our own businesses. So there is a kind of middle ground beginning to emerge here in terms of the private sector. But still, with government, the president makes the decisions, and we do have a, a vaccine mandate in place for, for our agency. Any, any uh, final thoughts on this before we move on? Yeah, I again, I I don't want to see anybody lose their job because of the mandate or leave the government before they're ready to because of the mandate. I understand that. But even more so, I don't want to see anybody else get sick and especially don't want to see one more person lose their life, lose their life to this because it's absolutely controllable. And we had it under control before the variant started, before Delta started, which is still the prevalent by far of any of the variants that are causing uh, these hospitalizations and deaths. And to, you know, for the sake of everyone, please, please, please get vaccinated. And Omicron's getting all the attention of the media, but yet that's still being studied. It's Delta that is causing yep. uh, the spike we're seeing today because it is so much more communicable. The first wave was pretty bad. This was worse. And so let's let, it's all your decision, but I want everyone to take all the information we've given you into consideration. And also all the information and recommendations, the real experts who studied this, all their lives and are experts in communicable diseases. Pay attention to them. I see you're laughing. The real experts. I love that qualifier. Exactly. Yeah, I've, I've seen some pseudo experts and even people who are doctors who are not specialists in this area who have made arguments that make me cringe, but I'll just leave it at that. Uh, speaking of health, uh, we are fast approaching the deadline to uh, change your health provider under the Federal Employee Health Benefit Plan, the FEHB. Uh, Duncan, uh, people need, if they haven't already, they need to get to work on this. Yeah, I can't urge enough that members of NTU go to the uh, NTU website, the consumer checkbook that NTU members get uh, as part of their membership fee is absolutely invaluable. You can do some really great research there. You can find, um, you know, the best choice for you and your family, the best value, because there's, you know, I don't mention them by name, but there's one company that has a large chunk of this, but they're pretty expensive. And, you know, just to give you an example, I became a member of the mail handlers union because I have their insurance. And that insurance happens to be the same type of thing that you can get from the big one but it's a lot cheaper. And I took a look yesterday, as a matter of fact, to see what my coverage was going to do, how much it was going to go up. And it's going to go up a whopping $4 per pay period. Um, so, you know, there are values out there that can, you know, be something that's good for you, good for your family. Um, you know, check with your doctor's offices that you regularly go to to see if that coverage is uh, covered by them chances are really good that it will be. So just make the right choice. I want to try and put more money in your pockets. And I think that the consumer checkbook that's on the NTU website is an excellent vehicle for doing that. 
Speaking of putting money in your pocket, we have a situation coming up, and there's a little ambiguity in it, and I want to talk, have you give you a chance to talk about it. We have now had good news in the sense that the, we have a continuing resolution, which means that we at least can pay people and run our agencies through a date that I can't recall the exact date in February. So it's, we've still got a little time now for the Congress to figure out our budgets. Of course, how, what a way to run the rate. How many businesses would be able to run months into their uh, business year and still not know what their full budget would be? But you now the Congress expects federal agencies to do that. So we do have a continuing resolution going into the new year. But that does leave one unanswered question. What happens to the federal employee pay raise that normally goes into effect at the first of the year, January 1 of a new year. Now, retirees have an automatic formula, so that will happen automatically. But as far as the people who are still working, the question is, will people working see a pay raise in that first full pay period of 2022? Do we know the answer yet? Uh, the, the short answer to that question is no, we don't know the answer. Um, the majority of the time when there have been continuing resolutions, they do go ahead and do the pay raise, but there have been times in the in the past and in the recent past where if we're under a continuing resolution, they will eventually get the pay raise, but only once we get a budget. So, um, you know, we're talking, the president has talked about a 2.2% pay raise with 0.5% uh, for locality pay. So everybody's going to get somewhere between the 2.2, 2.7, some metro areas of higher uh, expenses, New York, Chicago, San Francisco, may get a little bit more than that 2.7%. But is that going to be effective on January the 1st? And the thing is, we just don't know for sure yet. We believe it will be, uh, but we just don't know for sure. And I can guarantee you that NTU's legislative department is working very hard to make sure that does happen and that we will be getting out information as soon as we have that on our uh, Facebook page, since we'll be on uh, hiatus from the podcast. And we will be back next week, hopefully early next week, and that'll be our final podcast for 2021. Uh, but uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll definitely uh, use our Facebook page to update people. Duncan, uh, we're just about out of time. Uh, anything to add before we finish? I just hope that everybody out there is being safe, still being responsible. Um, I would urge people in high transmission areas, please still social distance. Please still wear a mask. Uh, it is still necessary and it does help. So, you know, just, just try and be considerate of your fellow man and woman. And you just heard Duncan Giles. He's our chapter president for NTEU Chapter 49. We represent most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. So again, we thank you, <clears throat> excuse me, for listening and watching our podcast. Uh, the Facebook page, you can find our Facebook page by going to Facebook and just uh, searching under NTEU Chapter 49 Indiana. You can like or follow our page and uh, hopefully you will be able to see uh, what we post there. Again, we, we can't guarantee all of the uh, Facebook, or I guess it's called Meta now, The uh, uh, what, what's going to happen with their algorithms, but at least you have a chance to be able to see that on your, uh, on your feed that you receive 
when you get on Facebook. Also, you can find our podcast just about anywhere you find podcasts. And you can also find our uh, video on YouTube. Just search for Duncan Giles and look for the Chapter 49 podcasts. We thank you for watching and listening. Wish you well and please be safe and be kind. Be kind.